Good morning, everybody. I'll say good morning. Uh, this is a little weird for me. I got to tell you, I uh, never thought I'd end up as a TV preacher. I, When my original plan to be the greatest baseball player of all time fell through, I decided to become a doctor, although my mom warned me at the time. She, she said, you know, Vincey, why do you want to be around all those sick people? which um, I've thought of once or twice over the years and recently, but i got to say I, I have been uh, impressed, short, small sample size, but uh, I've seen something about my patients who have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, a calmness uh, compared to folks who are without hope. I think that's been real. And uh, I would say... Uh, that in a time like this, everything you need to do, you can do better without fear. And and there's really no need for any fear because uh, every moment you're all the time safe in your Father's hands. Um, but let's get back into the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be looking at verses 21 through 39 this morning. Which, uh, if you had programs, I had titled A Day in the Life... Uh, Jesus had come to Galilee, you'll remember, preaching good news of the kingdom of God. Walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he called four young fishermen, Simon and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, to walk with him. And as our passage today begins, they've come to Capernaum, a city on the northern shore of the lake where Simon and Andrew lived. And Jesus begins to show them what the kingdom of God, what the coming of the kingdom of God looks like. And we'll follow them through one day there, one Saturday in Capernaum, and see what happened that morning, afternoon, and evening. Simon Peter was there. He's our eyewitness who related the story to Mark. And it was a day he would never forget. So it started in the morning uh, in the synagogue there. We read in verse 21, uh, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So they go to the synagogue there, and first Jesus teaches. And it says the people were astonished. The Greek word is very strong there. It's a word used 13 times in the New Testament, always at the reaction to something Jesus said or did. It means something like to strike a person out of their senses, to be knocked out, literally. One translation has that they were awestruck and overwhelmed, which I think is good. So, and I think we can agree that this isn't the usual response to a sermon. I'm not expecting that from you folks listening in. Uh, these people were used to the scribes, the experts in the law who would drone on about things, uh, like tithing your spices and which vows were binding and which weren't and how to wash your hands properly or how far you could walk on the Sabbath. And now here's this young carpenter from Nazareth speaking from his great heart of compassion about God their Father and a quality of life they never dreamed of, of a kind of radical love they'd never heard. He spoke words that troubled them and stirred them that made their hearts burn within them. Uh, 
Words that made them afraid. Words that made them hope. And they were just blown away. They had never heard anything like it. So notice that the folks in the synagogue that morning were already astonished before Jesus did any miracle. But suddenly, uh, during that service, someone cried out. A demon made his presence known. And that's the second thing. First, Jesus is teaching there. And secondly, this man with a demon. And here we'll see clearly that Jesus hadn't come just to give nice talks, but to break into the strong man's house and set captives free. Remember what he said in in Luke that we looked at last month? If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So verse 23, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Interesting, the demon knew exactly who Jesus was. And his presence was painful. It's like it was like a fire to him. Notice he's called an unclean spirit, a a polluting, filthy spirit. Now, there are three ways sin damages us and threatens to ruin us. First, there's the guilt of sin. Sin makes us guilty. It makes us deserving of punishment and death. So we need forgiveness. We have a debt of sin that must be paid. So there's the guilt of sin, but there's also the pollution of sin. Pollution, uh, as in this unclean spirit, sin makes us unclean, dirty. It stains our soul and corrupts us. So we need to be cleansed. Remember what John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. And David prayed, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So the guilt of sin, the pollution of sin, and then the power of sin. Sin is a power that can take us captive, can get hold of us, get control of us, make us do what we hate, make us a slave. Whoever commits sin, Jesus said, is a slave of sin. So we need to be set free. So here is a man with an unclean spirit. And the Greek literally says that he was in an unclean spirit. He was so dominated, so controlled by evil that he's lost in it. As we might say, someone was in love or in a rage. He was completely consumed by it. So that he and the demon speak as we. You know, first they speak together as we, and then later the demon says, I know who you are. So it's hard to imagine a man in a worse condition, lost in a demon. And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Let us alone. What have we to do with you? But despite all that, this one was not beyond Jesus's help. I like that. When, when God wants to save someone, what power can stop him? So don't ever believe that someone is too far gone to help. There is just no limit to Jesus' power to save. So then verse 25, Jesus rebuked him. 
saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. So Jesus didn't use any tricks uh, or techniques, no conjurer spells or incantations, only his word. He just speaks and it's done like his father at creation. Uh, For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So he cast out the demon. Then the last thing we'll note in the synagogue that morning was the reaction. Verse 27, they were all amazed. Uh, Yeah. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new teaching is this? For with authority commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. I like that first question. What is this? What just happened? (laughs) What did we just see? Clearly something new, but what? Just this, the kingdom of God had come upon them. A fresh breeze from another world was blowing the dust away in that tired old synagogue. One thing for sure, they had never had a church service like that. So everybody was talking about the news spread all over town. So that's quite a morning. And you can imagine how wide-eyed Peter and his other friends were. Uh, Then we get to the afternoon, which was spent at Simon's house, verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So after church, Simon invites Jesus over to lunch at his house. And uh, and when they arrive, Simon and Andrew find that Simon's mother-in-law was very sick, lying prostrate with a fever, presumably in another room, as we'll see. So, so the first thing I notice there is we should remember that being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean sickness won't come to your house. The brothers, though, do a very wise thing. It says, at once... At once, they tell Jesus about her. They didn't know what to do, but they figured Jesus could help. So you disciples, when when any trouble touches you, don't wait. Tell Jesus about it at once. I think sometimes troubles can so capture our thoughts that we forget to pray. Um, But we should learn to do just that and at once. That's the first thing we should do and how important it is for us to pray for one another the the poor woman couldn't even move to ask Jesus to help her herself and sometimes our own faith is weak and we need one another we need our family we need the community of believers to talk to Jesus about us so he came and he took her by the hand And he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. There's an awful lot in that sentence. But Jesus came into the room, and without a word this time, he simply took her by the hand, and he lifted her up. Peter never forgot it. And of course, Jesus is still in that business. He still comes close to us and touches us, takes our hand 
lifts us up. So why did Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law? You know, it was a very private affair. There's no hint here that he was doing it as a sign or trying to validate his teaching, certainly not to prove he was God. Uh, he, He simply loved her. He had compassion on her in her suffering. He wanted to help her. And then finally, the woman's service. Again, it doesn't say that she said anything to him, though she might have. She didn't apparently do anything flashy or dramatic. She served him. She prepared a meal. She'd done that a thousand times. But in gratitude, she gave what she knew. She said thank you with her hands and her feet. And perhaps the best proof that we've been touched and healed by Jesus is that we've gotten out of our beds and are serving him. So the afternoon passed with a nice meal. I like to think there was, had to be a nap in there sometime mid-afternoon. And, um, and then finally we come to the evening in verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So notice at evening when the sun had set. So that means the Sabbath was over, 6 p.m. Saturday evening. And people were bringing their sick to Simon and Andrew's house. The news about that synagogue service had spread. And we read that the whole city was gathered together at the door. Think of what a scene awaited them when they opened that door. That, that crowd of humanity, uh, uh, the sick and infirm. Um, it was another picture from that remarkable day that Peter would always remember and preserve for us. And then Jesus, looking out on that great needy crowd, loved them and spent his evening healing all kinds of diseases. Uh, Peter's doorstep became a kind of hospital from which every patient went home well. And uh, if you ask what was happening there, I would say again, the kingdom of God was present. Someone has said that the kingdom of God is an invasion of the future into the present. Uh, And that evening was a foretaste, an early spring, a promise of the time of the restoration of all things, of the healing of all hurts, of the drying of every tear that is yet to come, and that is surely coming. So, one morning an afternoon and an evening on a Saturday in Capernaum. But Jesus' day was not quite finished um, because we find early Sunday morning in verse 35. Now, in the morning, having, having risen a long while before daylight, so it's still dark, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, one would think that Jesus would sleep in after such a day. Remember the hours he spent into the evening and how late into the night, we don't know. 
um, touching and healing the sick and the demon-possessed. But just as Jesus had food that his disciples didn't know about, he had a method of resting and getting refreshed that was new to them. After such a trying day, Jesus needed something more than he needed sleep. So a long while before daylight, he found a place where it was quiet, where he could be alone. And he was praying. And that's that Greek verb form of continuous action. Uh, In other words, he was praying and he was still at it when Peter found him later that morning. But this wasn't unusual for Jesus. It was a habit with him. For example, in Luke chapter 5, we read, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often. That was his pattern. He accomplished so much in three brief years and yet spent so much of his time just praying. And if Jesus felt such a need to spend time alone praying, how much more do we? Yet most of us, I think, neglect prayer even more than we neglect the study of God's Word. Um, We don't follow Jesus' advice. Remember what he said? Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Charles Spurgeon gave the same advice to his seminary students when he said, all our libraries and studies are mere emptiness compared with our closets. We grow, we wax mighty, we prevail in private prayer. Well, verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. So so now the sun is up, the morning wears on, and of course there's a great stirring in the whole city of Capernaum. The town is buzzing. But where is Jesus? Simon and his brother and their friends James and John are searching all over for him. And finally they find him off in this uh, deserted place. And Peter says, come on, Jesus, we're off to a great start here. Let's strike while the iron's hot. Everyone's looking for you. But then we read in verse 38, but he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I've come forth. Jesus says, yeah, I know, Peter, that's why we need to move on. Because for this reason I came forth. I didn't just I didn't come to be uh, the star in Capernaum. We've got we've got bigger plans. Uh, when Jesus says I, I've come forth, he doesn't mean just that I came out of Capernaum. But as he said in another place, I came forth from the Father, and I've come into the world. Well, the boys didn't really understand what he was talking about, but off Jesus goes, and they follow reflecting on what by any measure was a singularly remarkable day. Uh, Let me just close in prayer before uh, we end in a worship song. Heavenly Father, uh, it's just so good to, uh, to read about Jesus, to meditate on his wonderful life, Father. We, we thank you for the, um, uh, infinite gift of your precious Son. 
Lord, I pray for our body as we are uh, uh, in our homes, as we are not uh, gathered together as we would love to be. And yet, Lord, uh, we can touch one another through prayer. Uh, We are one in your spirit. And I just ask that your good hand of blessing uh, would rest upon each one who's listening to these words and uh, that you would uh, encourage their hearts in these times, that you would deliver them from all fear and that your peace, which surpasses all understanding, would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.